especially in early stage companies, when everybody's chasing a dollar, it's very easy to get diverted by potential opportunities that take you in another direction and destroy the focus on what the main job is. And so I, I think it's keeping focused more than anything else that's important. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Jim Twirtle, who is one of my entrepreneurs organization mentors. He's gone through a lot of different journeys throughout his life, and I'm going to let him speak to some of those stories. Uh, I don't think a regular kind of description helps that much at all. I, I think you should just know that uh, he's helped companies. Uh, you know, he was president of a company called JBL in the past. Um, and these are things that, uh, well, speakers that I used to have as a child in my my first computer. And there's a whole host of other kind of life experiences that he has around kind of just uh, business and, and personal stuff. So, Jim, how's it going? Very well, Eric. Thanks. It's it's nice to be with you. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So, Jim, why don't you give us a little kind of a synopsis or a little story on kind of who you are and then what you're up to right now? I'd be happy to. Let's see, I'm a, a native Chicagoan. I, I went to school in the East, but then to business school at, at the Kellogg School. And after business school was in uh, management, you know, development programs and in the consulting business and actually became president of my first company when I was 27 and was fired when I was 28. Kind of a long story, but I, I probably should have been fired. I really didn't know enough to be running a company at that age. And by happy incidences, I ended up in the hi-fi business and at Jensen Sound Laboratories in Chicago, uh, first as vice president of marketing and then moved up to eventually become CEO of the company and then got recruited to come to California to become the president of the JBL loudspeaker company and part of Harman International Industries. I left there actually to become president of a publicly traded biotech startup. I became president right after the, the company went public. And that's also a very interesting story that I won't bore you with, but I'm still involved with the technology of that company today and working with a company that has taken the technology one step further and is in uh, currently in clinical trials and doing quite well. Awesome. Well, after that, I became president of, of Marantz Company, another old line audio company. And was there several years when uh, one day I, I met and was having lunch with a friend and we decided to buy several small companies. So we bought three small companies over the next couple of years. One of them was in the ceramic glaze manufacturing business. And I ran that kind of commuting between here and Ohio where our manufacturing plant was. And we pioneered things like the uh, do-it-yourself pottery studios like Color Me Mine and all the other do-it-yourself pottery shops over the years. Well, my, my partner wanted to go back into academia. I, he's now the dean of the business school at USC. And at the same time, you know, I decided to start a consulting practice. It was kind of eclectic. 
because of my years in the consumer electronics business, I had one little area that was doing sourcing and quality control in China for U.S. companies and still working with that company today. And then started a, a small investment banking practice, mostly for sell-side M&A activity, but then also raising capital for early stage companies. And then that kind of evolved in doing consulting for larger companies, middle market companies, which is how I spend most of my time today, although still work with a, a number of entrepreneurial companies and, um, and this little business we have in Hong Kong. Got it. Okay. Great. So, I mean, Jim, it sounds like you've been through a lot, right? You've, you've, I can even call you the, the, you've become president of so many different companies. So, you know, how do you think you, what do you think it was, what was the secret sauce that set you apart to becoming, you know, the guy that they should tap into becoming a president or CEO of these major companies? Well, I, I think I, in my career, I made lots of mistakes, but was, was lucky enough to be able to learn from the mistakes and as you learn from the mistakes and gain, you know, a little bit more wisdom at each bump in the road, um, I think it, it helps you to, to become more of a leader and to grow. And, uh, you know, most of the businesses I've been involved in have been technically oriented businesses, but with a, with a very heavy marketing focus. And so it was really trying to explain technology to consumers in a way that they could understand it and, and embrace it. And uh, there weren't that many people around that could do that. So what, I mean, you know, being at uh, president of JBL and all these other companies, what are some key kind of, uh, what's held true in terms of marketing? What's been the same consistent thing that you, that you know to be true around growing these kinds of businesses based on your experiences? First of all, really understanding your consumers and target markets and being able to segment and focus and not get uh, too diverted into lots of different activities, but try to, to have a, a key direction that you go in and understand what it is you're trying to accomplish and not be overly opportunistic. There, especially in early stage companies, when everybody's chasing a dollar, it's very easy to get diverted by potential opportunities that take you in another direction and destroy the focus on what the main job is. And so I, I think it's keeping focused more than anything else that's important. And are there any any books, uh, any kind of uh, you know people that you followed to to get better and better at kind of what you did, whether it's marketing books, business books, because you talk about focus and things like that. I'm just wondering, like, what are some things that really helped you grow into you know the the entrepreneur that you are? Well, it's been a few years since I've read them, but I think now virtually all of Peter Drucker's books I think were fabulous, I and mean, I think it was a very not only intuitive, but thoughtful, logical, well-reasoned scholar on management. I thought he was terrific. And, oh, you know, any number of other ones that are kind of great books that come and go, but I think it's it's kind of cumulative knowledge. And lately, I've been reading one called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And it's interesting when you're, when you're working with teams, you think that they're cohesive and working well together, although there are a few interpersonal kinds of things that go on. But in fact, teams can be their own worst enemy at times when they when they feed on each other's dysfunction. So it's uh, kind of interesting to try to figure out those kinds of things. Interesting. And then speaking of, I guess, when I think about you, you know, when I first met you was at a was an entrepreneurs organization. There's, you know, we're kind of, uh, I guess, selecting mentors, and then uh, you're we basically got matched up. And I, I, you know, as I got to got to know you more, you know my kind of view on you is you're very well connected 
you know a lot of people, especially in the, the LA area, and you just I, I think it's because of these connections that uh, they, they help you move even faster with what in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. So can you speak to kind of what your philosophy is on building relationships, networking, and, and how you go about, how are you so effective with it, I guess, is the main question. Yeah, well, a couple of things. One is I think that managers should try to join organizations that will be supportive of them both at, at that time and in the future. So there's some trade groups and trade organizations where you learn much more about your industry, and the more active you are and better known you are, the more you can kind of work even with competitors to, to uh, gain a stronger position. And personally, there, there are organizations for development like EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization, where I, I was a member of, of YPO, and then it evolved into, when you're over age 50, the World Presidents Organization. It's now merged back into YPO, and it's called YPOG, and have lifelong, both personal and business friends as a result of, of those kinds of organizations. In Los Angeles, I'm also a member of an organization called Provisors, which is a network, I think now almost, I don't know, 7,500 professional service providers to companies, majority in Southern California, but it's now in Northern California and in Chicago and Boston, a couple of other places. And we meet on a monthly basis and get to know lots of people and end up having lunches with a great many people. You know, there, I can't remember, there was a, a book not long ago, I think it was called something like Never Have Lunch Alone. Uh, Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, right? Well, there, there's an, an important lesson there, and that was years ago when my partner and I were trying to buy some small companies. We ran with other people, and they said, we've been working at this for about two years and haven't been able to come up with something. Well, we made a point of having a breakfast or a lunch with somebody different every single day and trying to make sure that we left one of those breakfasts or lunches with at least one lead of some kind to follow up on, or at least planting the seed of what we were trying to do and what our goals were so that if they happen to meet somebody in the next week or two, they might remember that and, and suggest it. And so we, we were able to move as a result of that. Got it. Okay. And, and how long ago was this when you started to you know make sure that you were always you know eating breakfast, not eating breakfast alone or networking with these people in the morning? Probably about 15 years ago, something like that. Okay, so 15 years ago. And part of it is, is where, you're, where you're located geographically. I mean, I, you know, at times I was located way out in industrial areas, industrial parks, and so you'd really have to travel a long way to be able to meet somebody for lunch. So it was less convenient in those days. But if you work in an urban area and just make a number of connections, I think it, it really pays off in the long run. Great. And so I'm wondering, uh, you know, what from a tactical perspective, what, what was your process? Because 15 years ago, you didn't have the, you know, the sales tools and all this kind of automation that you have today, right? So how did you go about finding the right people and then continually sourcing, making sure that every single day you're meeting the right people? Because that sounds effective to me. Well, a lot of it was it was meeting one person and then talking to them about who they might know that would have an interest in something or that would... I could be of help to them or they could be of help to me, so we'd get together. And before the days of uh, you know, Outlook and other CRM systems, we had Rolodexes. And I remember having a huge Rolodex of cards and was, was grateful when the internet came along so I could get rid of all of that. But it was just keeping track of people. And whenever you can, try to refer someone to someone else because it, it, it shows both people that you care about them. And I, I think there's a huge amount of power in the referrals because 
if you refer someone to someone else that does business, they have this kind of natural feeling that they're a little bit indebted, not in the in the really outward sense, but in the sense that uh, you've done something for them and they're probably more inclined to want to do something for you than they might some other neutral person. So I think the, the more that you give, the more that you're going to get. Yeah, it always comes back to you, right? You know, this book from called... Uh called Influence from Robert Cialdini. Uh, basically, you know, you give something to somebody else, it's basically proven that uh, they, they will feel like they owe you. So I think that's just human nature. And well, good. Uh, it sounds like, I mean, from what you're just talking about, your process, you basically built your own kind of uh, CRM or customer relationship management process and it worked out for you. That's basically what it is, right? Yeah, very much so. Okay, great. So you're in these different groups, you're in ProVisors, EO, YPO, things like that. People are probably wondering in the audience, you know, why bother joining so many different groups? Aren't they the same kinds of groups? Doesn't it take a lot of time? It does take a lot of time and you have to be disciplined about it, not wasting your time. But I think in the long run, it pays dividends just because you, you not only have resources that you can refer to others, but are mutually supportive in trying to get, uh, you know, new business. And in the consulting business in particular, it's, it's all of my business is based on referrals. I, I'm sorry to say I've never spent enough time trying to really develop my website or or the e-marketing side of my practice, but uh, part of it is because I really haven't had to because I've been busy just based on the referrals that I've had. Interesting. You know what's interesting? My mom, my mom's a real estate agent, and then all her business is from referrals, right? And then I actually, um, you know, we took a look at our uh, 2017 client list for the the marketing agency, and about 60, 70% of our, all the leads that, uh, or all the, all the deals that were closed were all referral. The rest, you know, was from, uh, from web marketing. But what's interesting is you, even the, the web marketing stuff or you know, podcasts, whatever it is exactly, it all leads to in-person stuff, which then leads to a deal being done. So at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. You can see that with you. You can see that with uh, my mom, you know, my business, just the way it is. Provisors, I think the motto is something like, no like refer no like trust refer so you've got to build that relationship to a point of trust before people are going to want to do business with you right 100% cool so i wanted to touch upon you know you, you mentioned that you're you you in the past or maybe even right now that you're buying small companies so what was the impetus for that and kind of what was your your thesis i suppose it was in now this goes back more than 15 years ago so it was the same impetus that a lot of the small private equity firms have today, which is to try to take underperforming companies and add something to them so that you can sell it for a, a greater multiple. And it's a lot easier said than done, and especially today because there's so much competition for you know companies that have you know a million to five million dollars in EBITDA and maybe you know sales of ten to twenty million dollars. There are a lot of those in Southern California, but there's also a huge amount of competition to for people to buy the good ones. So what you're left with are some that have issues. And I think everybody underestimates the difficulty of adding value to companies that have been run, especially by an owner founder for 25 or 30 years. They may be able to add value quickly, but the owner founders also wouldn't have gotten to where they were if they hadn't tried to optimize to a great extent. So it's not as easy sometimes to add value as you think it's going to be. Yeah. So when you are buying, I, I think everyone has, um, you know, their competitive advantage, or they think they have their competitive advantage when they're buying other businesses. So, for example, 
if I were to buy another, let's say, you know, e or online business, I would think I have an advantage versus, you know, the, the kind of um, average person. So when you were evaluating companies, um, what were you trying, what issues were you trying to spot and what were you trying to optimize? Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm trying to figure out like what your advantage was. Well, I think, you know, when you go into the deals, you always try to think about what kinds of operating synergies are you going to have, especially if you're merging something into another. And um, you've got to be careful in doing that because it's, the integration process is always, it almost always is more difficult than you think it's going to be. But the, the I think the real target is how do you gain marketing synergies or strategies that complement one another that help both companies grow more quickly than they could have by themselves. And uh, I think that's the real challenge. Okay. And, and just so I, I think this would be helpful too, for the, the, the size of companies that you that you helped run in the past, how big were some of these companies like JBL? Uh, JBL was, a, let's see, when I got there was about 50 million, when I left was about 75 million, but it was part of Harman International that at the time was about 150 million. You know, it's since become several billion. Right. Okay. So what I'm trying to get at is, um, you know, w with companies like this, right? Like, you know, you're the president, you're the CEO, and uh, you know, you're trying to hire. You're always trying to hire new people, especially executives, right? So I remember when we had lunch, uh, I did. I did ask you, like, what was your process for bringing on executives? Um, and you gave me some good feedback there. So I'm just wondering if you can share with everyone else. You know, how do you go about bringing on executives? Because these are the people that are really gonna, you know, push the company forward. You know, I think it, it varies some by timing and industry and so on. And and I do value and appreciate the work of executive search firms. I think that they are often worth their reasonably high fees. But without using them, uh, referrals are another very good source because you, you would like to be able to talk to people that intimately know the work that somebody has done. So that, that to me is the best way of getting new people if you possibly can. Often they, your circles just aren't broad enough, so you have to resort to using either search firms or advertising or other you know, means of, of generating new talent. But as you meet people, you know, there, there's the old saying that you should hire slowly and fire quickly. And I think most people make the mistake in hiring people that are, first of all, too much in their own image. They think like they do and they, they maybe have a similar background and they, they have an immediate affinity for them. But that, that may not be what's really required in the job. So you have to get beyond that favorable prejudice to really understand, you know, the skills and the, the personality of the person you're, you're thinking about bringing in. Got it. One of the ways I recommend doing that is by uh, having more than one person interview them. And uh, I also strongly recommend interviewing them in a way, in a place away from your office, especially over dinner with some drinks, see how they handle themselves, especially if it's going to be in a position where they're going to be out socializing with customers or, or with uh, vendors or other kinds of things to test them in a setting that is apart from the traditional interview setting. And uh, um, you know, to do it at least three or four times. And then to the extent that you can, check their references yourself by, uh, and, and many companies are very shy to get any information today other than kind of name, rank, and cellular number. But if you can find people that knew them in their previous job and just ask very open-ended questions so they're not going to get them in any trouble, and people are very reluctant to say anything negative, 
But if you read between the lines of the positive things they say and try to understand how positive they are and what they really mean, and are they leaving anything out or are they glossing over anything, you can get a pretty good picture of the person. Okay. Now, having said all of that, I still think hiring is about a 50-50 proposition in terms of whether or not people are really going to be successful and in, in, in real stars. And a lot of that is just luck. So even if you have the most optimized process in the world, which sounds like you had a pretty optimized one, you're still at best probably going to get 50-50. Yes, unfortunately. You, you just don't know. Okay. Yeah. And so the other thing is, I mean, you talked about uh, for an executive, you're talking to them four different times, right? So you have the dinner and then there's a couple other meetings that you have. So great, you do the dinner, but like what happens in the other three meetings? How does that go? Is it with you? Is it with other people? How does that look? Well, ideally with, with the number of people that they will be working with uh, as peers, it may be you can have directors of your company talk to them. It could be any number of different places to get input, but it's the sum of that input also, if you discover early on, for example, you have a peer interview them and, they, and you can see that there's going to be a, a conflict, then you need to figure out how to manage that conflict or is the conflict going to be so disruptive to you that no matter how good the person is, you don't want to deal with that conflict. So I think that the more interactions you can have, the better off you're going to be. Love it. Okay. So as we work towards wrapping up, I guess the final question from my side, you've already given some book recommendations, Peter Drucker, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. What's one more book that you'd recommend to everyone? What do you think is a must-read based on you know, all your experiences? Well, because you've got so many customers in the digital business, I think that Zmot is one that's a, is a quick read. You know, it's the zero moment of truth. Mm. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, by, uh, by what's his name again? Uh, Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel. Oh, no, no. Oh, you said zero moment of truth. Oh, no, that's Google's book, right? Yeah, well, yes, but the, the, the title is used by lots of people. But I, the, the, you know, the point is that unlike Procter & Gamble's first moment of truth, which was when a customer walked into a store and saw a package on a shelf and had to make a buying decision, you now have to approach them much earlier in the process and, and make sure that those early contacts are uh, the best possible ones and ones that can be, be developed and nurtured uh, as opposed to you know, fleeting glances at a web page. Love it. Okay. Well, Jim, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online or contact you? My website is fordallassoc.com, T-W-E-R-D-A-H-L-A-S-S-O-C.com. And my email address is jim at twerdall.net, T-W-E-R-D-A-H-L dot N-E-T. Wonderful. Jim, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.